You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, trade and technology, politics, security, and a lot more. I'm Jeff Rathke, president of the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. Well, welcome to all the listeners uh, of The Zeitgeist. Uh, Really glad to have you with us. Uh, Today, I'm with non-resident senior fellow, uh, Klaus-Dieter Frankenberger. Klaus. Hello. Nice to see you. Welcome. We we are in Darmstadt, um, uh, just outside of uh, Frankfurt and Mainz uh, and and a few other places. And we are talking on the 15th of July. And so we're, we're going to do a bit of a uh, a summation of of German politics um, and what it might hold uh, for the future, and uh, both the performance of the Schultz government and its level of support. We're also going to talk a bit about the far right and especially the um, Alternative für Deutschland, the IFD, um, and its recent spurt in the polls. And then we'll reflect a little bit on what the uh, the next uh, two years may hold for the German-American relationship because we're more or less at the midpoint of of a legislative period. The last election was in the fall 2021, um, so we're almost halfway there, and it's probably a good time to uh, to take a look at that. So um, so let's let's start by a snapshot of where the support for Olaf Scholz's government stands these days. Again, uh, Jeff, welcome to Hesse. Welcome to my home state, which we think it's one of the major states in the country. Uh, at least it's fair to say it's the heart of Germany. That's so, true. And has been also, um, has set trends uh, for Germany. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. The Greens entering uh, state uh, state parliament, um, the first, um, if I'm not mistaken, black-green <clears throat> uh, government, mm-hmm. um, and so forth. And, and probably the the most international city is with the city of Frankfurt. Our, we are connected with the world, and um, I'm glad that you're here, and I can show you a little bit around. So, what is the support level? It's fair to say that, and this is a kind of our ultimate verdict, uh, voters have not been too happy mm-hmm. in the past half year, past six months, with the performance of the government. You know, this... This famous, infamous Heizungs issue, or the the technology that the Green Economics Minister wants to introduce into households, this whole issue has been a disaster for, for the government, both in terms of communication, but also in substance. Let me let me push uh, the the pause button metaphorically. So we're talking about the heating law yeah. that was introduced by the government um, several months ago. Um, it's been through a couple of iterations, yes. uh, a lot of public backlash, um, which has left the government having to rework um, the heating law. Um, so just so listeners understand what, uh, where we are and how we got here. I have not seen a backlash, a backlash like this or on what is, you know, in substance, a minor issue, but politically very important. It's financially important, but it will at the end not define are the transformation prospects of the German economy, the German society, but it has been a disaster for the government because critics said, well, ill-prepared, 
there may be some kind of corruption associated around the, the economics minister, uh, economics minister Habeck from the Greens, uh, PR disaster, and eventually the government backed down. It mobilized all the dissent within the government. You saw the FDP, the, the German liberals against the Greens, with the SPD standing for too long on the sidelines, and it really uh, has gotten politically out of hand in terms of how to contain the damage. Now, with the government thinks they have overcome this by introducing uh, some, uh, some, some elements of reform to the reform process, but the ultimate verdict was when the, when the Constitutional Court denied them to debate this in a speedy fashion on the floor of the Bundestag. And I mean, you didn't do your homework. And the critics, of course, were eager to say, you didn't, haven't done your homework on issue A, B, C, D, E, particularly on the economics issue, your performance is a disaster. People see it widely so, 75% are unhappy uh, with the performance of the government. This is the big number, 75% are unhappy the government itself, three-party coalition, Social Democrats, Greens, and the Liberals are pull no more than 40%, probably less, three. So they couldn't form a government in their own right if they were to form one today. Right. Um, and they face very strong headwinds, I would say. Are They still enjoy the support. This probably the... Uh, I mean, this is not something that comes with the solace, but on the Ukraine issue. Right. And let's, so, of course, there's been a lot of public debate in Germany about it, the country's support for Ukraine. Should it provide particular weapon systems? Should it not? That was really uh, the hot issue six months ago. Um, when uh, when the debate about providing German-built uh, uh, tanks to Ukraine was at the top of the agenda. And then there have also been a number of, of quite well-publicized efforts by some, some people in the German political and cultural elite to push for a less supportive um, and a more of a mediating role for Germany um, rather than taking Ukraine's side some people advocating for Germany to push instead for some kind of peace talks uh, uh, with Russia. Um, and of course, last year, Germany was completely um, roiled uh, by the rising energy prices. And, but yet it's not those things that have led to this uh, uh, drop in support for the government. Yeah. Instead, it's a much more mundane thing like a law about what type of heating systems will be allowable in residences uh, in in the future. Is this because that issue is something that affects every uh, every German in one way or another? It, it affects most of German households. It affects particularly symbolically strongly people in the East because they have now probably to replace their stuff again. Uh, so they, they now experience on the individual level, a transformation, uh, another transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, they are, see this as top-down, being told by Berlin how to do, how to organize their household, how to organize their energy system. Um, I found it interesting, if we had talked in the fall, let's say 10 months ago, 
we would have said, let's cross our fingers that, that Germany get through the winter without, you know, in, in blithering cold and falling apart, the economy falls apart. None of this happened. Exactly. At that time, no recession or just a minor one. Our energy prices spiked, but have come down to pre-war levels. Pre-war levels. The gas shortage was not existential. As some of the, particularly in the business community, have thought the, it would be. It has not been this way. Now, people are more and more willing to say, well, we should take care of the econ economy. May, it may be the issue. And the Heizung thing is a symbol of that. The heating thing is a symbol of that. Uh, it may be the economy is stupid. Mm -hmm. Famous word. Of, uh, I mean, the Delta. German economy is in a recession. It's in a recession. Now, it has not been one in, uh, during, during winter time. Um, a lot of toxic things have come together, inflation, supply lines, and all the rest. Uh, and it's the thing. Um, it's, a, it's a very strange situation. Uh, the unhappiness with the performance, with the, comp the competence issue is, is here with us. And uh, people seem to be pretty unhappy. All in all, mm -hmm. or you cannot identify one issue other than, I mean, the fundamental thing that, that broke the, the camel's back other than the heating issue. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of things went not in a way that were conducive, a lot of turmoil within, a lot of dissent within and between various government, uh, various parties, the, typically the liberals versus the greens. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is normal. Sometimes it was not so normal. The heat level, if I, if I may say so, are. Um, so this is a government uh, which has entered now into the summer holidays. The summer pause is here. And then the, the, the final two years start, the final two years in what Scholz, the chancellor, thinks maybe is first of another term or mm -hmm. even more. So, Klaus, uh, how, how much, you know, of course, every government goes through a goes through uh, peaks and uh, and valleys of support over its lifespan. Um, do you think this is simply a normal phenomenon that a a government experiences because they have to make difficult decisions uh, and and people grumble about them? Um, that doesn't mean you can project them out to the next election, for example. No, How uh, do you see that? Some people say it's better to be are down at the polls now than at election eve. Yeah. Uh, I would think the Greens will recover somewhat, may be back at the 50% level. They are today less. I mean, the, the Liberals had a bad year, and the election this year in Berlin also went badly for them. Yeah. Not good. So they also had to do something, you know. So there's a combination of policy and politics at the national level, at the state level. The, the liberals fought vigorously in Brussels to, to keep our, the Verbrennermotor, you know. The, the combustion the, the engine. combustion engine for e-fuels, which, which experts say it's only very minor, minor. But then the tablets could make, they're fighting for German autos. Yes. Our, so this is the pol political thing, our, to make sure that dissent and unhappiness of the government does not all move over 
to the far right. Some, as some have done, mm -hmm. considerably so. Social Democrats have also lost because it's one of the trademarks, if this is a trademark at all, of the Chancellor to keep a low profile. Yeah. And he has not strongly interfered, except for one issue, this was the nuclear issue. Uh, other than that, he has let the parties fought, you know, slug it out with each other. Uh, and the SPD is also now below the 20% line. Yeah. Now, that's where they were at the eve of last elections. Right. Remember. So if, and if we look at the opinion polls, um, they show the opposition CDU, CSU um, in first place, where they have been for, you know, well over a year. Um, in many polls, the far right um, AFD is in second place at around 20%. Um, the Social Democrats usually coming in third, um, a point or two below, and then the Greens in fourth. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, a dramatic shift in the uh, overall relative levels of support. And so let's come to what is maybe the central political um, tension um, between the government and the opposition. Um, the, the CDU leader, Friedrich Merz, um, uh, recently went out of his way to identify the Greens as the chief ideological opponent of, uh, uh, of the CDU and CSU. Um, and that has attracted uh, a certain amount of attention. Um, it, it focuses the political contest uh, with the Greens, but this is a party where the CD, which the CDU is in partnership with in many other states. So how does this all shake out and where, where will it go? First of all, it it tells you that the CDU, you rightly said CDU would say so, you rightly identified that the main opposition party are, is not the number one profiteer from the unhappiness with the government's performance. Well, it's fair to say that the, the, the force that gained the most traction from voters are shifting sentiments at the hard, hard right hard right AfD, particularly yeah. in the East, where they poll at the moment roughly in some states like Thuringia at 30%. Now this is a, a, a state where the state, our uh, domestic security service has called the AfD our unconstitutional extremist. Though so this gives you a thing to reflect. The Tzedi would never, as under merits, went above 30%. Now this is uh, an element of frustration and uh, Friedrich Merz has responded to that mm -hmm. uh, by replacing his Secretary General the other day with a more rigidly conservative rather than a social or Christian Democrat in the more social mold, even though it's from East Berlin in the Western German uh, the Western German type of, of social democrat, right? And uh, the, Christian and, democrat. And the new Secretary General Karsten Linnemann, one, you know, he is uh, he has a background in economic policy, as does Friedrich Merz. So one can uh, presume that we're going to see a much more focused line of attack from the opposition on the government, which will be about the economic performance um, of the government and and Germany's economic. Performance. This is uh, this is our this is. In one way, smart, but I just remind our listeners that a really 
free market party like the liberals, the German liberals, polls between between five and eight percent. Yeah. So there needs to be more to the agenda than just say we are for a you know a, a low tax base, less deregulation, more deregulation, smart energy policy, uh, more incentive, more supply, a more supply side economic approach. Um, Friedrich Merz, when you say he identified the Greens as their main opponent, it's as you say, it's ironic that in three major states, Hesse, Baden-Württemberg, North Rhine-Westphalia, CDU and Greens are in in a coalition agreement, in a, in a coalition government. And I would say Baden-Württemberg has not unsuccessfully so, mm -hmm. or even not on this farm has done actually not too bad a job. So this has cr created some anger or some some irritation. Uh, if you know, then why is this so? Mm -hmm. Why is this so? When he says the Greens are our main opponent, why does Friedrich Merz, you know, firing our, the, his, his ammunition against them and not so much against the AfD? Because it, it agitates and mobilizes that kind of CDU base who are more conservative, who have thought Friedrich Merz bring us back the good old conservative days, which were never so conservative in the first place, because they're all the three liberal, Christian, Christian, that's a CDU, yeah. and, 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 and conservative, all the three. And for them, it's like red meat. Mm -hmm. And that's why an issue like the, the heating issue is not only presented as a, our, a detail in the energy transformation, it is is politically wrapped in cultural terms, so mm -hmm. it becomes part of a, a way of a way of life, a way of life of a cultural war pattern. The greenish urbanites against the ordinary people in the in more rural areas, which is a simplistic dichotomy. But you know the base loves it. Mm -hmm. The base loves it, and it it's red meat for them. Our Lindemann is not shy of also waging a couple of culture war mm -hmm. incidents, maybe, but the whole thing, it is the cultural problem dimension that has, you know, catapulted the heating item. I say, I say a detail or an expensive one, yes, a detail into the forefront of domestic politics with the, with the AfD not believing it's like, you know, to be to be receiving all the voters' approval yeah. all of a sudden. So cultural thing is something that is also not too far down the list of what we will see in the elections in two years come, and particularly next year election yeah. in the three East German lenders. Well, that's, I think that's a good transition point to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the AFD because uh, there have been a number of, of developments, not just their rise in the national polls where they've gained at least five points, maybe a little bit more even, to reach around the 20% level. Um, there was a small, um, perhaps not very significant election, but nevertheless, it's a bit of a barometer, um, a kind of county level chief uh, executive. County manager, um, yeah. uh, was, so there was a runoff election 
uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in uh, Thuringia in eastern Germany. Um, and it was a runoff between an AFD candidate and a CDU candidate. The AFD candidate won narrowly, but clearly. So, so you see for the first time um, a uh, kind of uh, regional um, uh, political success uh, for the AFD actually holding office, executive office. And, and then as we look ahead to the future, we see two big state elections this year in Germany, in Hesse, uh, where we are now, and in Bavaria, but that next year, um, it is going to be quite different. You'll have the European Parliament elections in June, and then three Eastern German states, and in those three states, the AFD polls very strongly. So we're going to see, I think, over the coming 12 months, um, we are structurally uh, it, moving in a direction where we're going to have a lot of um, surprisingly successful election campaigns for the AFD. And so I think it's important to talk about that and what that represents, what it might not represent, so that people can orient that. I would not be so our pessimistic when it comes to the elections this October, where we have a, a small Bundestag election, the Bavaria and the Hesse state elections are held on the same on the same day. So people will give a verdict also on the on the Ampel government and yeah. that's that's clear. Yeah. I mean the, the state or our Prime Minister of my state, Hesse, uh, Boris Rhein is not so popular you know, popular here in terms of people don't know him mm-hmm. really. So he makes himself more known as uh, goes to every Volksfest mm-hmm. that is around here. Bavaria is important. Yes, the the RFD, you know, won't have a smashing success yeah. story. At twelve percent, thirteen percent, something like that, maybe max. Yeah, particular Bavaria. Yeah, uh, but next year, as you say, Turingia. Maybe thirty percent. So it will be the Brandenburg, strong. not much farther maybe, behind. Maybe the strongest. Saxony. Maybe the strongest. So why is this? Is this so? Are people, politicians, pundits, or analysts scratch their head and think, "My goodness, it's now thirty-something years after unification, and the political culture seems still to favor the extremists more than others." Are I would say stop here. 70 to 80 percent are still voting for the what are is are disparagingly called mainstream parties SPD, CDU, FDP, Greens, and, and the left. Radical left in the east is it's not a real hard, hard left party in what uh, antagonizes voters, and also their voters often go directly to the RFD, that's right, as we have seen in 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 uh, election analyses. Um, well. Worry about the future, concern with the status quo, unhappiness with the with government's performance, sense of powerlessness. Um, migration is a hot issue again. Migration are from Ukraine, but this is politically more accepted. But again, big migration waves coming from our North Africa and and the Middle East, and this again is. Is our it? It's almost a lifeline for the RFD. It's it's support. Their support is replenished and replenished and replenished. And all of a sudden, a social democratic or home security minister has agreed on measures uh, to contain the crisis five years ago. 
the, her, her party would have gone, gone, gone to the Constitutional Court and say, this is an abridgment of human rights and, and violation of human rights, violation of this and this, UN Accord. And now they say, we need to do this. Yes, we need to do something about this. Mm -hmm. Our, uh, they have addressed it. Hopefully it becomes a law. I say hopefully because it's always is fire to, to, I mean, the people are really upset about this and they know it doesn't end. Will we be back to the days where local gyms are trans, transferred to facilities to house mm -hmm. young males from Syria and, Af and young Afghanis. Now this may sound resentful, xenophobic, but it is no denying that this is one of the major issues that drives the hot right support. But I also would say I would not be too schmoozy with the voters. Some are knowing who they will vote for, a hot right extremist party and a part neo-nazi of course not all mm -hmm. not maybe the bulk but some are and you see now something which in other west european countries central european countries is or we have seen for quite a while you see that also in germany now with the party system and more volatile more polarized more diffused and differentiated there is a hard right party at the, to the right of the of the Christian Democrats, and the fantasy that Friedrich Merz, now with his new lieutenant Carsten Linnemann, will be able to bring back big numbers of these alienated voters is, in my mind, a fantasy. Yes, they will bring bring will be bring back some, but mm -hmm. not the majority of them. Mm -hmm. They will stay put. I think we will probably have to go through this experiment that next year with the elections you mentioned, particularly in Thuringia, we will have a 30% vote for the AfD, a 30% 30, 30 vote. This would be frightening. Yeah, yeah. And now, because it, at the moment you can see it absorbs so much attentions from, from national politics, from state politics, I'll think about it. how can we uh, what is our firewall? Should we cooperate? Should we talk with this opponent? Or people are simply not sure what to do. It's good politics, good policy, yes, particularly on immigration. But then the the Green Bay says we don't like this. Yeah, we don't like making turning Europe into a festum, a fortress. Yeah. And 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 so, uh, which it, the way it looks to me, but tell me if you agree, Klaus, is that for the foreseeable future, the impact of the AFD and its rising popularity at the national level will remain minimal uh, because there's no, uh, you know, until the next Bundestag election, they have no new levers of influence. But what we what we face is, especially in Eastern Germany, a con a an expansion of the situation you've got now in in Thuringia, where basically the only viable coalition is a coalition of all the other parties against the AFD, um, because of the way the numbers uh, shake out, and 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 that is an inherently unstable situation because those governments cannot agree on much, um, and 
the it feeds the narrative that the AFD profits so much from, which is to point at the system and to say, look, they're all the same. Nothing changes. Um, we are the um, the only uh, real option if you want to see things change. And in the process, the voters get even more radicalized. Yeah. And so you could have this not only in Thuringia after the next election, but you could have it in Saxony. You could have it in Brandenburg. Maybe it's a bit less likely there because you probably still could have a three-party coalition against the AFD. But uh, this this dysfunction at the state level um, is going to continue. But it will, in one point, at least politically, will spill over onto the national national level. Why? Because they are the talk, the mm -hmm. talk of the town. If they pull thirty percent of the vote in a state election, three zero. Yeah. Then all the journalists, all the politicians only discuss one issue, the rise of the AfD, what to do about them, and inevitably say they exert minimal influence in Berlin, which is policy-wise true, but the whole atmosphere will change. Yeah. And they will present themselves, we are the voice of the people. The, the traditional mainstream parties, so-called mainstream parties, have been voted out, or blah, blah, blah and all that. And though this will inevitably influence the thinking, the communication, or the whole voter volatility will increase and increase. Yeah, it will suck a lot of oxygen out yes. of the, uh, uh, the political discussion. Yeah, okay. Um, let's switch gears to our last topic, which is at this near midway point for Olaf Scholz's government, What can we expect if we think about this in a more international context, especially the U.S.-German relationship? What to expect from from Schultz and um, his relationship, not just with Joe Biden, but the German-American partnership more generally? I found one of the most interesting things with the Schultz, our administration, the Ampel coalition, uh, and of course then the Ukraine, the Russian war, the Russia's invasion, and the solidarity for and help for Ukraine, how close Germany wanted to be with the Biden administration, in acting in lockstep, acting as close as uh, as possible, aligning themselves, and that's what that's what behind the the tank issue. You know, yeah. When you send tanks, we are happy to send one, but before you say you 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 will send some, we probably can't find any tank on the yard. Yeah. So let me uh, add one. We've, we've just had this week the NATO summit um, in Vilnius, where one of the principal issues was the future relationship with Ukraine and the question of Ukrainian membership in NATO. And this is another example where you see Germany and the United States, Biden and Schultz, having essentially the identical position. And it, it, it was the one that stood in the way of the overall momentum To, to go further in terms of either inviting or in some other way signaling um, a rapid um, uh, path for Ukraine to join NATO. It's really instructive to thesis from a social democrat. From the Greens, we do what the Americans do. As close as our European coordination, well, France has switched sides. It's now the side with the Poles and the Baltics. Yeah. Our half a year, Remarkable. Our couple of months ago, it was different. Yeah. But now they are strongly and more forcefully arguing to bring the the Ukraine, bring Ukraine into the into NATO orbit. Eventually, I think, um, with the war, hopefully, 
when when it, if and when it over we don't know but ukraine will be member of nato mm -hmm. i mean i would say Scholz is not against it per se but they still are not so sure but so yes a close relationship from our side close coordination as possible even on issues where the German uh, manufacturing sector is quite unhappy, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, subsidies for... Uh, I think the German manufacturing sector is pretty happy about yeah. the Inflation Reduction yes, Act. Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but the term, well, he, the, the, the downside is the, it, the, the heating up of the, if this is the word, deindustrialization debate yeah, in Germany. That's right. Companies move over. Listeners, for listeners, you should go back and listen to um, the conversation that uh, we recorded yesterday, which will should be the next episode of the podcast, or maybe the one right before this, with Jeromin Zettelmeyer of of the Bruegel think tank in Brussels um, on that question. Yeah, but our I would uh, say as much harmony as possible from our side of the pond mm -hmm. towards, uh, and then people and we enter the U.S. election season, and then they keep their fingers crossed. Yeah, you might say we're already in the U.S. election season, um, but we'll save that for another uh, conversation. As, as, for the moment, as, as much harmony as possible. That's right. And, and then maybe the end is near. <laughs> I, I think, you know, Klaus, I, I agree completely with your, your point. It's a, it's a really striking feature of, of Schultz's chancellorship in foreign policy terms, the the degree of of agreement of harmony and of coordination uh, between Washington and Berlin. And um, yeah. It's not something that everyone expected from a social democratic chancellor, but mm -hmm. in this respect, Schultz has been um, uh, in a strong line of continuity um, and has not uh, diverged from it. The word strategic autonomy that the French always use, some we use here in our vocabulary. Or strategic sovereignty, and by this, most politicians and analysts mean more capability, simply more strengths, mm -hmm. you know, more pounds on the table, more tanks, more others, and but not in a more in a traditional um, staatstheoretische deliberation. From a senior politician in Germany or uh, in, in the government, you never hear the word strategic autonomy. I would say. No more. There are, and few... if you read the national security strategy, which was released just a couple of weeks ago, uh, that confirms Klaus's point. The, the, the French, the French still believe this is the thing to go. There are some dilemmas. There's the dilemma uh, for German politics between investing more in Europe defense capabilities and buying stuff from the shelf in the U.S. That's clear. But now they have closely aligned. The defense procurement is now we buy from you whatever you have. Yeah and not develop stuff themselves that would that we will then be able to commission in thir in three decades with the Airbus. Yeah. Well, I think that's still going to happen. It's but it's not the center of of uh, of political and budgetary gravity right now. Um, but uh, so I, I wouldn't write off European defense industry. Just no, yet. no, no, this I didn't mean that, but you you have a, a euro only once to spend. Yeah. And if you decide to build F thirty five, yeah, you and you you buy this aircraft and, and not spend all the money you have in developing a joint French, at uh, Franco German yeah. Spain. Who else will might join us? Are uh, starting next decade or so. Yeah, so I find this remarkable and are 
the close people here have still the lesson people have learned and almost internalized from Russia's invasion are uh, this you know um, probably some some listeners may know this I'm a staunch transatlanticist I'm still think our United States security umbrella is necessary a close partnership ship is uh, uh, inevitably needed are it's necessary it's the life insurance for us and it has and people say American experts say well the US role in NATO is as almost 30 like 40 years ago this may be the case but otherwise Russian troops may have been at the Polish border mm -hmm. this is not a happy prospect yeah and there's a sense of realism what we can expect from ourselves, what we can expect from our European partners and from European cooperation at the moment. He was gone to great strength, great lengths to do something and improve capabilities, invest and become more geopolitical. All this is true, but the war is now. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up um, the conversation, um, uh, Klaus. We've covered... German domestic politics, um, the spe the specific case of the far right uh, AFD, and the 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 foreseeable future of the German American um, foreign policy and security policy partnership. So I want to thank you for the uh, the time and for the uh, the conversation today. And I thank you for being here and being my guest in the great state of Hessen. That's right. So, uh, so yes, uh, <laughs> signing off from Darmstadt, um, and we look forward to uh, having uh, having all of you with us. Uh, on our next episode. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. You may know us under our old name, the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. Send us your feedback by email at info at AICGS.org or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we have new handles at A-M-G-E-R-I-N-S-T. And also please visit our website at AmericanGerman.Institute, formerly AICGS, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Thanks.